Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Dr. Christina Castanini. Christina is a licensed psychologist and a certified eating disorder specialist. Christina has also recovered from an eating disorder herself, and on this podcast, we talk about her journey and her story and how it's led her to where she is today with her focus and specialty on working with others and helping them overcome and recover from their eating disorders. We further chat about how we can better communicate in a more supportive way. And we also talk more about whether we can actually tell if someone is healthy on the basis of appearance and perception alone. Society will tell us yes, but you and I both know that that's not true. And Christina and I chat more about that on this episode. And I think that this conversation today can help you better interact and connect with with your patients or even with colleagues and other providers who you know might be going through a tough time and, and you just want them to know that you're there for them. So grab your drink of choice. Join us. You don't want to miss this episode. Hi, Christina. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. You're on the West Coast, right? You're in California right now? I am. Beautiful. I love California. I'm in Ontario, Canada, and uh, I've been to California once, I think, went to San Fran for a few days. That's where I spent most of my time and absolutely loved it. Just beautiful. Right around the corner for me. So I'm in the Bay Area. So, Uh, oh, love, love, love. I wish I could. Oh, hopefully we'll go back soon. (laughs) That's my intention. 
Come back. Let's it. <laughs> um, thank you for being here. I know uh, your schedule is probably pretty busy, but I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me a little bit about the topic today on essentially on eating disorders. And I, I thought this would be a good follow up to my conversation uh, most recently with the dietitian who was on my show, Cassie, and she was an emotional eating expert. And one of the things that stuck out about that, that episode to me is when she said something about food isn't the problem. You are not the problem. There's something else kind of going on. And and that's kind of her role is to help people kind of get to that point of what that what it really is, what what their patterns are really symbolizing, I guess, more so, right? So, and what intrigued me about you is uh, you're a clinical psychologist focusing on this area. um, And you yourself um, have a story as well of overcoming an eating disorder. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your journey and how it's led you to where you are today? Sure. When I was you know, around 11, 12, I, I actually didn't realize I had an eating disorder. <laughs> so I think that's most people. Um, I just thought, okay, I want to, you know, maybe lose a few pounds. Um, I was, you know, I think different than people who are 11, 12. Now we didn't have the internet and social media like they do today. We had magazines and TV and things, but what happened for me was I, my aunt asked me to be in her wedding and we have a large Italian family. And I was very self-conscious thinking of all these hundreds of eyeballs that were going to be on me with the strapless dress she wanted me to be in. And I was born with a birth defect on my shoulder. And so I was always asked, like, were you in a burn accident? Like, what's what's wrong with your shoulder? And so wearing a strapless to me was like a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I asked my parents, like, can I do something about my shoulder? And there was this radical, uh, I guess, experimental surgery that I was lucky enough to be able to undergo. And so this was all at the same time as going through puberty and my body was changing and (laughs) didn't know what was going on. And so I was trying to figure out what to do to get ready for this wedding. And so I was thinking, okay, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, my shoulder's going to look amazing, but my body is weird. <laughs> it's changing. And I just thought maybe I'll lose a few pounds before the wedding too. And I looked in the magazines while I was home, like undergoing all this recovery from my surgery. And I saw the ads for Slim Fast and I thought, hey, you know, <laughs> let me try that. Okay. And so I took my allowance money and ran down to the drugstore and got Slim Fast and that was really the first introduction I had to, you know, oh, people made a comment like, wow, you look great, you know, and I didn't know if it was yeah. from the weight loss or what, what it was. But, you know, I think for most people that I work with now, when they hear that first compliment of you look great, it's this like, it feels great. And so I was, it was hooked. It was like this, okay, I'm getting attention. This feels great. Now I have to keep going because when mm-hmm. I stopped hearing the compliments, I thought, oh gosh, I'm doing something wrong or maybe I'm gaining weight again, I got to up the ante. Mm-hmm. And so as I kept going on in my life, I was an athlete my whole life, but you know, it was really hard push and pull to like, I needed to eat because I needed to perform, but I didn't want to eat because I wanted to lose weight. And so throughout my life, I just kept like playing around with food. Like, okay, how can I eat to perform, but <laughs> keep right. weight off. So, you know, people ask like, did you have anorexia? Did you have bulimia? What did you do? And I said, I kind of think I had it all because I was really trying to control everything. So I'd go weeks without eating and much, um, but then I couldn't handle that. And then I would eat a lot and then go, oh gosh, I have to get rid of it. So then I would find different ways to purge and people would think like, well, what's purging? It wasn't just 
self-induced vomiting, it was over-exercising or fasting or laxatives or, I mean, anything. And then I couldn't take it anymore. Sometimes not eating very much at all and over-exercising and I would binge. So, you know, I just kind of did it all, but I didn't really realize I had an eating disorder. I thought I was just not dieting well. I thought I just was failing, right? Um, Right. It's hard. You were so young too when this all started. And just um, in listening to your story, it kind of started with being self-conscious about your shoulder. And then the focus changed to your weight once you thought there would be a solution for your shoulder defect, right? The birth defect. Um, And then it just went from there. So you were 12, as far as you can remember, when this all started. So how long did this process go on for? Well, you know, there there was times where I think it, it kind of went away for a bit. When I felt better about my life, myself, I was more focused on school and other things. Um, and then when my life felt out of control or I felt like there were lots of changes that would kind of rear its ugly head again. Um, and then looking back, I think that was really the how I started to make sense when I finally went into treatment to realize it wasn't like, as you said, it wasn't about the food. Yeah. It was about other stuff and really realized it was about me trying to take control over my life or numb out from really stressful times or feelings or things I didn't want to deal with. So it was probably early to mid twenties. I had a moment where I tried yet again, another dramatic, drastic fast. It was a cleansing I got from a health food store and Mm -hmm. I was living by myself. I passed out in the middle of the night. um, And I woke up hours later with horrible, horrible um, knock on my head and It was a, I mean, it was a horrible experience. It was just my wake up call, um, scared me really. And ended up in the hospital and CT scans, EKGs, the whole thing. And just went, wow, this is, this is something. Um, wow. So Christina, so this is interesting because that's what led to an admission into the hospital, right? So I'm thinking of myself on the other side as a provider. I've never worked in the ER. I work, I'm a physiotherapist on an inpatient rehab unit. So I don't typically see people till much later after their acute stay. But how did you get treatment from that point for what was really going on? Because people are going to treat the injuries that they see, right? They're probably going to take, do your blood work. They're going to check your, your any deficiencies, replenish, things like that. But what was the moment like when you actually were confronted with the opportunity to get help? And, and what was that like? Well, I was, you know, I was at the point where I was in uh, graduate school and studying to be a therapist too. And so I had a lot of people around me who were giving me hints along the way, like, and so they they were kind of blunt at that point and said, you know, <laughs> did people notice it, Christina? Did oh yeah, they were. People they know were you sick. were struggling. Okay. okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask about that. Okay. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, um, no. They they definitely did, but they weren't outright saying it to my face, with, like as blunt as they did after that moment. So right, they were concerned about you. So how do you approach someone? Uh, you being you having had an eating disorder, hitting essentially your rock bottom, uh, your wake up call. I guess right. you say, literally, you know, people who are trying to be supportive, but not trigger too much at the same time, right? Because, you know, you don't want to cause someone to spiral further into it, right? I know that's my, my difficulty as a, as a friend to someone who, who might be struggling. How can we socially better support others who, who we think might be 
having a hard time and and just not ready to maybe fully disclose it or or talk about it just thinking back to my own self I think it's mm-hmm. hard um I justified it with everything I was in denial I was you know doing marathons and triathlons and like justifying it with I'm in training you know? yeah <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, I have to do this. You know, obviously that was my purging technique. Was you know, and I had the identity of being an athlete and being quote unquote healthy, and so I mean, I was very defensive and um, in denial. So I think when somebody's ready, they're ready, and until then, it's very frustrating for loved ones to be around it and just think like, oh my gosh, like they're not getting it, or uh, I'm worried about them. And you know, when someone's ready, they are, and you can say, Hey, you know, if you need to talk about anything, let me know, or I'm concerned about you. Um, you know, never want to, you know, get help or talk about it. I'm here for you. But other than that, you can't really push anybody. They might back away from you further. Right. Yeah. And it's a fine line, you know, between, you know, potentially ruining a a relationship there, right? If you, if you push someone a little too far or even enabling someone, if you're, if you're also not, I guess if you're also not addressing it as well in some capacity or, or letting people know that you're, that you're aware and that you're, you're there, there for them. So, yeah. Um, I think just personally speaking, not even just as a healthcare professional right now, you know, with patients, but I think that's something that we can all relate to on some level, depending on what others are going through and just trying to kind of still maintain the, the relationship and the integrity of that without compromising. But everyone has to come to their, I guess, to their own healing or to their own moment of, of recognition and awareness, right? Well, I think it's very personal too, right? Um, yeah. And so it can be taken as a criticism or people, you know, especially with eating disorders, it's, it's um, you know, somebody makes a comment that they're trying to be helpful or they're saying it like, well, I'm just worried about your health, especially if it's about like, I've noticed something about, you know, your weight or your body that is very much like a, Mm -hmm. I think that stay away from saying something like that, because oftentimes loved ones will say something, well, I've noticed you've lost so much weight or I've noticed you've gained so much weight. I'm just worried about your health. And that is like such a triggering comment, making comments about someone's appearance or body. And I would definitely stay clear from comments like that and just make it more like, Hey, I've noticed, you know, you've been kind of upset lately or you've kind of been withdrawn lately if you need to talk about anything let me know some way we'd more focus on like somebody's like behaviors of isolating or like looking more stressed or upset and like hey would you do you need to talk about anything rather than focus on like somebody's eating behaviors or somebody's weight changes or appearance changes love that yeah definitely so being on the other side at one point as a patient then I guess or as a client going through um, recovery and getting help. How how was your overall care experience um, when it came to interacting with other providers? When it came to getting the help you needed, did you find that process relatively smooth, or or was were there bumps along the way? Um, well, I, I you know I to my patients now. <laughs> I was the worst patient, so like um, I did have times, you know, since twelve up to when I finally did get better, um, where I would try. I knew I had some awareness I needed help. So I would ask my parents, can I go in for like a therapist or can I see a nutritionist? Um, and I, I lied. Okay. <laughs> I just wasn't honest. In <laughs> the sessions so- you mean once you got the help? Okay. I was just so afraid to be judged. Right. Yeah. And so I would, I was the worst patient. And 
I think, I think there's a lot of secrecy and a lot of shame and a lot of embarrassment. Like I cannot tell this person what I'm doing. Like I can't tell them what I'm thinking, like, ugh, you know, and I bolt out. So I get it, you know, how scary it is to open up. And, you know, I always say you're as sick as your secrets. Right. So once I finally just said, okay, like, I'm just going to tell somebody everything. It was so relieving. And it was just when I finally did that and just was, here's everything, you know, it wasn't as scary as I thought. And it was like, oh, huge, just, sorry, the pun, but like weight was lifted. Right. It was just like, and it was so normalizing. Um, you know, so I think that helped. And also I think working with a team, I didn't just have a therapist, a nutritionist, and I had a psychiatrist and working with the nutritionist, like eating with somebody in real time, eating my fair foods and having them talk with me as I was eating about like what I was so scared of, like, what's so scary about like pizza or bread or like pasta or things I hadn't eaten for years. Like, right just really having somebody sit there and tell me what each nutrient or what each food was actually doing for my body rather than like, it's not just about gaining weight. (laughs) Yeah. So you understanding and being educated on that piece was empowering for you and and helpful. And that was, that was the big flip for me realizing food was actually fuel and nutrition Mm -hmm. and something my body needed to stay alive and to stay physically well um, versus like food wasn't an enemy that I just needed to avoid to not gain weight. Right. Cause that's how I saw it for so many years. It was like, Oh wait, I actually need this to stay alive. What's going on here. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty essential. Um, and, and making that connection. Right. But it's so hard. Like you just going back to what you said too, about how you, you feared criticism and judgment. And I think, you know, currently this is something that a lot of, you know, healthcare workers, feel who are who might be feeling other things maybe not an eating disorder specifically but even any type of mental health struggle or um, burnout to some degree or just feeling like they can't keep up or exhaustion anything like that and you know not having um, or not feeling like they can be open about it so when you finally felt like you know you got to that point where you was it more that you just had to do it or was there something about that person that you know kind of, um, attracted it out of you somehow? I think it was a combination. I was ready. I mean, honestly, but I think it was, you know, I often think this to myself too. Like, I don't know if it would have been faster if a provider had been able to say to me like, Hey, and I'm going to ask you to do some things um, that are scary, but I've been there too. And I know you can reach recovery because I've been there myself. Like, I think I was scared because nobody, I didn't have one provider that had had an eating disorder. So nobody could look at me and go like, trust me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that was the scary part for me. I think it took me a little bit longer, even though I stayed with my treatment team. And so to that point, like you asked me how I got to this point, I think, um, I was knew I wanted to be a, a psychologist, but I wanted to steer clear from treating eating disorders because there was always that myth in my head that I heard like, oh, you know, people bring their own stuff into the room with their patients. And I was like, I don't ever want to be accused of that. So I'm going to treat like couples and I'm going to treat depression and like be a generalist. So I did, I went to a hospital and like, I was a generalist and did the ER and just like whatever came in the office. Right. But I was like, I'm not going to specialize or see eating disorders. 
<laughs> funny how life happens. Yeah. <laughs> so what was that like? Because that's a very common feeling that, that is because you think you can't be objective. Some, or you have that myth that you can't be objective, perhaps. So yeah, I, 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 but yet when I, when one of the reasons why I wanted to chat with you be, is because I think that having personally gone through it yourself, who better than to, to connect with someone who is going through it and to understand and to empathize and also to be in integrity with, you know, what you went through, right. And staying true to yourself um, in kind of your mission of, of all of this, right. Uh, I think would, um, would keep you here to do that. So uh, yeah. So how did you end up, you know, getting into <laughs> Uh, <laughs> treating uh, clients with eating disorders and th that being your specialty. Well, yeah, interesting path. So, um, yeah. so, you know, you assess for depression and one of the symptoms of depression is, you know, increase or decrease in appetite. And so, and I go down the list and we get to that symptom. And I found that people were really starting to talk about what they were doing with food when I got there. And, they were saying, well, nobody's ever asked me what I do with my food. <laughs> so, you know, lo and behold, they start really getting into it. And like, I was like, okay. And, and I remember this one patient that really just looked at me and went, she had this knowing look and she's like, wow, you just get it. Mm. And just went, oh. and I went, oh my goodness. Like I do, I understand all the, sorry. But I call it Ed Talk, eating okay. disorder voice. Oh, okay. uh, it's crazy. Like the things that are absolutely nobody who's never had an eating disorder would understand. Like, for instance, if somebody says you look healthy, mm -hmm. ugh, that is so triggering and makes you want to just go and not eat. Mm -hmm. And like she said something like that. And I went, I, I get I totally get it. And she's like, Do you? And I'm like, Yeah. She's like, wow. oh my gosh, like nobody's ever gotten that. Like everyone thinks that, like when you hear that as a compliment, I'm like, that's not a compliment. <laughs> Wow. You know, and it's just things like that. Like when you hear it, it's like, it's so counterintuitive that eating disorder talk in the mind. It sounds absolutely crazy. <laughs> I do say that like mm -hmm. to anyone who's never had one, it, it, the, th the thoughts you have when you have an eating disorder just don't make any sense. And so I started to find like more and more people were relating to me and I did, they didn't have to say much and I just got it. And so it just cut through a lot of the, I guess, red tape, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I said, you know what? I remember back when I was in treatment thinking if somebody just got it, it would have been a lot faster and easier and I would have trusted them more. But I also had a lot of people asking me or saying to me, well, I've heard once you have an eating disorder, you always kind of have it. It's always just lingering. And I went, well, that's a very powerful belief. That's, that's self-defeating. And I think if people believe that, that holds them back from really reaching full recovery. Um, and so that really bothered me because I hear I was fully recovered. And so I sat back with myself and said, okay, I'm sitting with all these people. I'm not getting triggered. I'm not bringing my own stuff into the room. I'm relating to them. I get it, but I'm not triggered. So can I do this? Cause that was important. I needed to make sure I wasn't going to get triggered or exactly. bring my stuff in. Yeah. Um, and so I did a bit of consultation with another colleague, which is ethically to make sure this wasn't my stuff. That's great. Um, but I wanted to really break the myth and have people have the hope that, yes, you can reach full recovery and not always kind of have it. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I think people need to know that. I've, I, truthfully, I, um, that's what I've heard too, in terms of, mm -hmm. and that's my own 
lack of awareness and education around it as well. Um, so there is potential for full recovery. So in terms of recovery, that means full healing, you would say? Okay. Right. And I think that's the, the beautiful thing is now that I'm like so many years out and met other people who fully recovered, like we, we all say that like, yes, you can fully get to the other side. It's not this lingering thing back there that like rears his ugly head again, um, which is great. And so really spreading that word. And, you know, since I have since I've become a certified eating disorder specialist and I've since left the hospital a couple of years ago, well, over a couple of years ago. And my mission was really to do more work than behind the four walls. I was there 15 years and I said, look, I'm going to go start my own podcast, get the message out there just to break all these myths about eating disorders, do what I can to do more, uh, worries and awareness. And just for that reason alone, because there's so much misinformation out there that's hurting people. So whatever I can do at this point is, just to like, like, thank you for having me on your podcast, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, and this is partly why I started my podcast. The same reason was just to just to give it another avenue to to support healthcare uh, workers and providers where they're at to help support their well being um, and share their stories as well. So um, I really appreciate you being here for sure. So what approaches then as a like? So you talked about hospital. Okay, I, I do work in hospital, and you did mention you had a team, and I, I think that's a powerful message. That because as we're chatting and, and we're talking about uh, kind of what you were going through, um, it's almost like there's a, there was a consistent like our chronic need there, right? There was something that you needed ongoing um, over time, right? And one provider, I don't think can do all of that. It sounded like it was layered. There's a lot like social, emotional, um, relational, probably uh, spiritual stuff going on too, I would imagine. So just a combination of everything. And so working in hospital with patients on a rehab unit, sometimes I, I do wonder if like we never really address other than just the nutrition aspect and the diet per se, like the dietary stuff. We never talk so much about people's patterns of eating, right? And what I what I'm noticing is, you know, some people want to talk about it, some patient and I'm not it's not within my scope. And it's not necessarily just a dietitian's scope either. <laughs> so what do you recommend if if someone has questions about their eating patterns and what you know, or their just their overall um, habits and their own reflective questions, if they're wondering if what they're doing is is helping them or harming them? So complicated, right? Um, yeah, it really is. And I don't even know how to describe it, but I think you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> well, you know, it, and everybody, you know, it's not cookie cutter because everyone no, has not. their own cultural and societal and like emotional and individual like relationship with food and why they turn to food or why they eat what they eat and their families have their own rules about food. And I mean, this is so many things. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so complicated. Right? Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. And, and there's so much misinformation and confusing information out there in the world about like food and what we need to eat and not eat. And this and that. it's like so many values and emotions based on like, if you eat this food, you're good. If you eat that one, you're bad. And it's just a mess. Right. So, right. you know, do people look at food as fuel and nutrition only? Some people do, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have an emotional connection to food. It's just like, yeah, I need to eat. And then I go about my day. <laughs> like how yeah. great. Um, but that's not for everybody. So, um, I think it's just meeting the patients where they're at, like, what do they need? Do they need to talk to a therapist? 
about what are they using to cope if it's food or not, or how do they feel, you know, about like, are they getting mixed messages about food in general? Like, are they being told things that they feel ashamed about in regard to what they're eating or not eating or their health? Or, I mean, just, I think to the point, every kind of treatment plan or person needs something individual to them. Mm -hmm. So in talking about eating disorders specifically, again, Mm -hmm. I could be ignorant here. Is it tip like, I think like culturally, socially, we usually see it around um, weight loss, right? Losing weight and, you know, diet culture, that kind of stuff. Does it also go the other way? Does Does it swing the other way when people are obese? Like, is there an eating disorder for overeating? in a way as well? Or is it more just restrictive in nature uh, where you're trying to, to control kind of what you're consuming so much so that you, you just end up consuming very little or expending too much? Well, and I, I hesitate. Well, I'll caution you in saying like, you can't look at anybody and know which eating disorder they have. Right. right. And I think that's another myth out there is like, people think, Oh, if you look at somebody, you can know which eating disorder they have based on their appearance. Um, so when we look at diagnostics, we have anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating disorder, which are the main three in our diagnostic manual. But like I said, with me, I don't think I, at times I probably met diagnostic criteria for all three, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I definitely have patients who meet diagnostic criteria for anorexia nervosa who have larger bodies, much larger bodies. And that's what we call atypical anorexia. So people would never believe them. Even their medical doctors don't believe them that they're eating two, 300 calories a day, exercising five hours a day. And they're in much, much larger bodies. People don't believe them. And that's horrible. Yeah, Yeah. And so they don't go to the doctors to get checkups because they get shamed and they get told, do you need to? eat less and exercise more. And it's like, how much less can they eat? And how many more hours can they exercise? That's not what they need to hear. Um, so they're not going in to get help. Um, or someone who has, you know, anorexia nervosa, like, you know, I tell my patients too, the most I ever weighed, my, the largest my body ever was, was when I, you know, had anorexia nervosa when I was in the stages, you know, the body just holds on to everything. The more you diet, the more you kill your metabolism, the more the body goes into the, you know, starvation mode and just hold on to everything because it's trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people have that again, myth to think, oh, if you have anorexia nervosa, you're just must be emaciated and so skeletal, but that's not the case. So you just don't know. And most of the time people, you know, they might be in average sized bodies and you don't even detect it. You don't even know they have an aging disorder. So it goes so under the radar. Right. I was just going to say that is that I feel like we could be missing a lot if we're not having a conversation um, or if we haven't established a relationship that's trustworthy enough to get to that, to that point, because I think, and that was one of the themes we wanted to talk about today was, you know, can you really tell how healthy someone is on the basis of observation and just seeing them and you're, and you're obviously saying no, and it sounds simple, but it's actually what it, you know, it, it's actually quite common to just assume right? Based on someone's size alone. And speaking about myself personally, like I'm Lebanese. um, So Middle Eastern culture grew up, uh, you know, food is everything to us. Um, It's, it's social for us. It's um, it's soothing for me. You know, Uh, when I think of food, you know, it brings me joy, right? It's one of those things for me. But I was also athletic growing up as well. And I didn't have the body type of, you know, of someone like, 
you know, just at face value, who you would think was an athlete. And I, I remember going, you know, when I was in grade school, high school, um, you know, even in university, like I, I would have people comment on my body all the time. They would, you know, they would say things like, oh, I had no idea, like you were this athletic, you know, you don't look it, right? And those are things that stay with you for sure. And I know I've had my share of um, over-exercising, um, under-eating, you know, I've, you know, binging from that too, a few years back, um, having the awareness that I was doing it, thankfully, and and going to my doctor and getting checked out and, and things like that. But, you know, I, I don't know, like if, like you said, you don't know when you're in it, if, if that's actually what's going on, um, that you are having disordered eating, right? And, and if someone's not, your provider's not asking about it, or if you're, like I said, if you haven't established that rapport, people are slipping through the cracks. Um, well, it happens all the time. Like one of the most frustrating things for me was I definitely knew my patients were not eating nearly enough and over-exercising, doing horrible things like taking 20, 30 laxatives a day and enemas and just, I mean, horrible, horrible things. And I was very scared for them. And I would send them to their primary care doctor down the hall. I'm like, please do a physical, you know? And lo and behold, like they would get praised because their bodies were not meant to be in the small size they were, right? They were not meant to be, but they were not quote unquote healthy BMI. Like 21, 22, right? But their bodies were not naturally meant to be that quote unquote small or in that BMI category. But their doctors would be like, hey, you're doing great. You look great. Keep up the good work. Because all they would ask them is, are you exercising every day? What are you eating? I'm eating my vegetable, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like pulling my hair out going, this is the most unhealthy person I know in terms of what they're doing to their body. They're doing all these very toxic, horrible behaviors, and they're not eating enough. I'm worried about my gosh, like they need an EKG. I'm worried about their heart. Like what's happening here. And so, you know, you probably hear these stories of people are like 25, 30 years old, falling over of a heart attack yeah. and people go, but they were so healthy. They look so great. What's happened, you know? And it's like, well, you don't know what they were doing, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's the scary part is they're getting these messages. They aren't the ones who are sent to labs. The people who are sent for labs are the people who are in larger bodies who are actually probably, I have plenty of patients like this who are, you know, walking an hour a day or half an hour a day and they're eating just fine in their bodies, you know, culturally, whatever, like mm-hmm. they're just, they're in the body size they're meant to be in, but because the BMI, I'm sorry, I could go on about the BMI. That's okay. <laughs> actually, that's, that's totally fine with me because <laughs> I agree with you. I've never been a fan of the BMI. I think it's so misleading and I, I think it just puts people into a box, um, you know, and, and they're not numbers, right? So, but yeah, like even for myself, you know, going to my primary care physician a few years back, um, just based on my appearance, you know, didn't realize how active I was, you know, and I was like, you know, like I work out over an hour a day, like I could lift quite heavy, <laughs> like I could deadlift over 200 pounds, you know, but nobody would think that, right? Just from, unless we have that conversation and, and, you know, my experiences as a provider working with patients, it's not easy for patients to bring, to, to have this dialogue because they don't feel safe enough to do so. And like you said, they're getting mixed messages. You know, you have you sending the referral to the primary care physician and then they're getting the opposite messaging. We have to be on the same page here. Absolutely. And you know, a lot, I mean, I I think the message is like, 
eat less, exercise more, but it's not just about that. It's like, okay, let's look at the overall health and well-being of people. Like, what are they doing to reduce their stress levels? Are they happy? Like, there's so many other factors that play into somebody's health and well-being, and it's not just somebody's weight. And so when that's the bias of like, okay, we can look at someone and know how healthy they are, quote unquote, whatever that is. It's like, maybe they are like, they have such great coping mechanisms and they're meditating and they don't have a lot of stress and they're financially sound. And like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are we only looking at one thing for their appearance and saying that determines so much? It's like, that is so crazy to me. <laughs> I don't know how we got this far. You're, you're like, you're making me so aware of that, but we've come up, like we've gotten so far off the radar here. Okay. You've made me very much more aware. So someone like me, who's a frontline provider, I might be the first person who comes into contact with someone. And like I mentioned earlier, sometimes I I hear subtle hints of it. And as myself, um, not feeling totally comfortable to, to guide that conversation, because, you know, I don't feel like it's within my scope. How can I facilitate, I guess, for my patients, like a referral to someone like yourself, um, or to someone on staff um, that yeah, could better help them, but at least get the ball rolling for them so that we're looking at them, you know, you know, fully, right? Their whole, their whole health picture. So, you know, we've just having conversations like, Hey, have anything, you know, how are things going? You know, I think, you know, one thing I really like uh, when I go see my primary care is they, they kind of inquire, like, how are things at home? Mm-hmm. Are you feeling safe? you know, how's your stress level, like anything stressful going on, like anything I need to know, any big changes in your life, just kind of like quick and easy, like mm-hmm. things like, is there anything you feel like you need to change? You know, how are you like, how are you sleeping? I think sleep is a huge thing that's overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, some maybe just bigger things like that, like so to ask to just to see like what else is going on. Like, is anything feeling different for you? Is anything changed in your health? Like you noticed um, anything you're concerned about not bringing up the weight per se. So if someone comes in with like, you know, a mold, they don't get talked to like, oh, you know, so let's talk about your weight. Like, right. I think yeah. people just don't want to come in. Um, but also I think one thing that's really helpful is I, I get like needing to get your blood pressure checked and like, you know, the temperature and things. But I think people really stress. I have people calling me panicking, going, I don't want to get on the scale, mm-hmm. you know? And so maybe given the option of like, Hey, do you want to get weighed, you know, or even just at least like weighing people backwards? Like, yeah. I think that number really freaks people out or yeah. just having to do that freaks people out so much. They don't even want to go. Wow. Yeah. Or giving people the choice. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Cause we just kind of go through the motion, but we don't, you know, we don't know if people are really sometimes totally comfortable. Uh, they, they just also think it's a part of the process and don't realize sometimes that they have a choice in that. Christina, you've been so great. You've opened my eyes up to to quite a bit today. Um, is there anything that you want to share before we before we sign off? Anything on that maybe when it comes to our interactions with others who could be str- struggling with an eating disorder, um, or if other healthcare providers are, you know, sometimes you know we're supposed to be caring for others, right? And I know you struggled with that when you were kind of going into, you know, th- through your schooling, thinking, you know, you know this, but when you're in it, it's a different story. Like, you, you know, it's hard to see so clearly, right? It's always easier to look back and reflect. 
Um, so do you, you know, and I mean, and that's why I love reflection because it's so powerful um, that way. So do you have any words of advice for others who might be where you were at one point? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if anybody out there is thinking, oh my gosh, I just have no willpower. I am the worst dieter ever. I am failing. And you're looking for like the Holy grail of diets and you're constantly Googling, like, you know, what's the best diet or you're following people on Instagram or social media, like, you know, to figure out like what they eat in a day or this or that, like that might be a clue that something's off. Right. Um, but also I think just in general, for most people, like just be mindful, maybe not to make comments about how people look or their appearance. I think that can be very triggering for people and you don't, you might be well-meaning, I get that, but like, you may not have any idea how much that can really impact somebody. Because if you say to them, wow, you look great, you've lost so much weight, or, you know, that can really have an impact because then if they don't hit the next time, that really plays on somebody. So, you know, just kind of maybe make a comment about like, oh, you're so nice. Or like, wow, I really like your hair. Like, you know, yeah. they're going to make a comment about their appearance, right? Yeah. Um, Speaking to one's else. character. Yeah. To one's yeah. character rather than, rather than their appearance. Yeah, mm-hmm. for, for sure. So where can people connect with you, Christina, if they want to reach out and learn more from you, or if they themselves might be wondering if they might have an eating disorder or disordered behaviors, um, where could they reach out to you? So um, I have a podcast too, um, but the website for that is behindthebitepodcast.com. And on there is actually a nine-week email course uh, to help people figure out if they have disordered eating or an eating disorder too. So, and that's free. So, Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. And so now you're in private practice and you're you're doing your podcast, right? This is yes. where you're at right now. Do you have any regrets of leaving the hospital setting and in pursuing this mission right now of, of properly informing others and educating others? No, this has been the best thing. I have more time with my kids and yeah, I was a little freaked out because I did like two months before the pandemic hit and I went, Oh my gosh, what did I just do? But, uh, it ended up being a, a great things. Uh, my kids were home homeschooling as everyone probably were. And I was home. I had no office and <laughs> ended up in a really big mental health crisis, which I didn't know was going to happen. And so I actually got to reach more people than I thought. So oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I'm so happy for you. And thank you again for taking the time to, to be here today. Well, thanks for having me. This has been great. Thank this you so wonderful. much. Thank you. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward. And I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes. And you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.